Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we are here with the writer, producer, and director of The War on Kids, Kevin Soling. Welcome to the EdCast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Kevin, tell us a little bit about what is this war that's going on on kids? Where is it happening and how have we not heard about it? Well, fundamentally, the original conception of the film was to deal with the fact that children throughout all of society and culture, and American culture, uh, are, are marginalized. You have hotels cropping up that don't allow kids. You have housing communities uh, that also don't uh, are not kid-friendly. And there's a, a pervasive intolerance against youth and uh, that actually extends to sort of an aggressive animosity towards kids. And that was the initial focus of, of the film. When I was editing down all the footage, I realized that I'd, I had more footage than I had time to, uh, so I, you know, to, for, for a 90-minute documentary. So I, so I broke it down into both school and outside of school. You could do a Lord of the Rings trilogy type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there was one, one conception where it was going to be a 10-part series as far as breaking that down, but I managed to sort of edit it down so that it would be a two-part. So, so take us through the movie. That obviously, the focus, the beginning is on education, what happens in schools, and you liken it to a prison setting. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, schools, one of the things um, that... I, I became aware of was was just it, it came out of zero tolerance and the overuse of zero tolerance, which is this fundamental policy that anything that the administrators deem in their decision is uh, related to violence is you know can result in suspension or expulsion of students, and it just became more and more absurd and it reflected this this basic hatred of kids and intolerance and I. Um, notice that and notice how, how schools were becoming uh, more and more impressive in, in their, their constructs, the use of metal detectors, locker searches. But it, I, I realized in my research that this has actually been since day one, that it really, that some of the physical manifestations have gotten worse, but in fact schools have always been prisons. The whole con concept of, of school I itself is taking children away from society, putting them in an environment that is essentially fascist. I mean, it, it follows the definition of fascist. All, all suppression is, is, uh, is repressed and there is an autocratic leader in the system. Children are deprived of all civil rights. Maybe they have some limited amount of free speech, but not to any meaningful degree, nothing that, that can challenge the system as the Supreme Courts have repeatedly upheld uh, decisions that don't allow anything disruptive. And, and the environments are, are run like prisons. And one of the main features, certainly with zero tolerance, is, is the absence of justice. Uh, there is no recourse for, for any type of decision except in the courts. And the courts always decide with the, uh, with the schools and the children are usually demonized for even appealing to, to schools. You know, I think a really interesting example of the zero tolerance rule, and now is that a state or a federal or a school-wide rule? Who came up with zero tolerance? Um, well, the history of zero tolerance was in response largely to Columbine. And um, one of the, the things that I guess is rarely ever taken account during the discussions of Columbine during the anniversary, I was very frustrated that no one was bringing this up on NPR any of the discussions, is uh, Eric Harris being under the influence of prescription drugs. And there is a long documented history about the psychotic effects of these drugs. And that's also another factor that, that inspired me to you know, make the movie The War on Kids, was that you have millions of kids who are being put on the drugs. And the reason they're put on the drugs is to make them con to conform to this 
hostile environment where they are powerless and the only way that they can get through the day is, is to be drugged uh, for, for many of them. I think what's really moving is the under the example of zero tolerance, you, you give a lot of really great illustrations of what how kids are suspended when zero tolerance is put into effect. Like some kid used a chicken wing as a gun. Or something like give it. But you didn't even use the chicken wing as a gun. I mean, yeah, the, the the examples are. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples around the country of the most trivial uh, forms of behavior being treated as if the kids were terrorists and coming down on them. Often with the support of the community in many situations, that these kids need to learn a lesson and know the potential dangers of of drugs or or violence. So you have situation in one school where kid, kindergartners were playing cops and robbers and using their fingers as guns and they were suspended. A uh, situation where, yeah, the chicken strip, a child pointed a chicken strip at another uh, child or maybe it was a teacher and said, pow, and he was uh, suspended. Other instances where kids draw pictures, one, you know, uh, often uh, some of the children's parents are in the military and they'll draw a uh, picture of their their parent with a uh, with a gun and that's or stories anything I mean they're they're all uh, children with with uh, mydol girls you know for who have you know Advil or something for uh, you know uh, over the counter drugs and and you know they're they're suspended or expelled it's it, it's just you know dramatically absurd so what I'm curious is so you made this documentary to sort of expose all of this that's happening. Now tell me, what has been the reaction? This one best educational documentary at a film festival, it's getting a lot of traction. You were on MSNBC and the Colbert Report. What are people saying to this documentary, and is anything changing? Um, there is some change. Uh, one of the, the, the things, the thing that sets my film apart from all the other films that have come out subsequently on education, well, first off, it's not corporate propaganda, uh, as other films that advocate charter schools, I insist, are. Uh, but the other thing that is is different is is mine is the only film that uh, addresses the fundamental issues. Other films deal with the issue with the symptoms, and they'll see things about competition among uh, students and and fight you know for the tests and grades and and things of that nature. And and I consider those films to be profoundly misguided, because the fundamental problem is the institution and the. Um, the resistance that I've had has been largely among teachers because they appreciate that it presents a fundamental existential crisis for teachers. Um, I, I respect teachers, I respect administrators and parents, and I think everyone who is involved in the system by and large, and yes, there are many notable exceptions, mean well. I think most of these people mean well and have really devoted their lives to it. But they've, putting their, their, they've put their lives into a corrupt system that is designed and is very effective at destroying children. It, it makes them, you know, the, the sole function of schools is to, is to make kids docile and, and obedient because social efficiency dictates that. The very first lesson a child when he walks into school, you know, at whatever age, five, six, seven, that they learn, is you will not be permitted to learn the things that you're interested in. You can just give up on that. And what you will learn is, is, is whatever is, uh, uh, the, on the curriculum, and if there happens to be something that you're remotely interested that's on the curriculum, it will be presented in a way that you will that end up hating whatever it is that that you loved. So, so teachers have been resistant because I think they they either they understand on some level that that I, I'm saying what they're doing is destructive, even as they mean well. Um, I, I've gotten that, but I, I think that I'm trying to at least start a dialogue and raise awareness that the institution itself is corrupt and cannot be reformed. 
the uh, if you're, there's, say, you're saying it cannot be reformed. It so, cannot so, be reformed. So what do you propose should be done? And I would say I would argue that are, are there no systems or schools across the country that are doing anything that allows students to choose what they like, like a Montessori system or an experimental charter school? I, I, I think there are different environments. There are alternatives to schools. I think that, you know I, I haven't really studied the Montessori system and others, but I, I have heard very good things about them, and 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 I, I think those are are much better environments. I think there. Are, I, I think once you have a situation that where an institution is governed by social efficiency, uh, where um, the children have no civil rights, no say, and are graded, the whole economics of, of grade uh, makes children have the approach that nothing matters unless I'm graded on it, and there's no there's no reason to put any effort into anything. Um, so if, so, if, so if I do if believe. If there's no grades, then how do, how are children assessed? How do you know that a child is learning along the way? You, you don't need to. Why do you need to assess them? They're assessed in, in their in their lives and how they perform and what they what they pursue. How, how are um, they assessed though? How are they assessed? They're assessed by themselves. You don't you don't need necessarily this this kind of outside judgment. There you know if people are are empowered to to pursue or know that they can pursue and find mentors and people who will support them, but I, I don't believe the necessity is necessarily to to present an alternative and I, and I, and I become very indignant about that. Um, I, I think the worst people in the the whole school argument are the reformers and I I have no sympathy for any of the reformers I, I think who do you, who do you mean by reformers who are you speaking about directly are you talking about waiting for Superman the Davis Guggenheims the TFA model the Wendy Cops the Randy Weingarten so who are you talking about every single individual that has studied the school system that recommends that changes be made to the system those people I think are are deserving of contempt because. They are supporting the basic infrastructure of, of this fascist system. A lot of the voices in the film are people who generally don't like their educational experiences uh, of the students that you interview. Uh, I'll, let me paint you a picture of a, of a student who went to school and liked it and liked his teachers and learned a lot and went on to high school and then went on to college and learned a whole lot about the world, a lot of different subjects and ideas and lives a pretty happy life. And what if I told you that person was me what would you say to someone like me, or just what would you say to me who benefited and is happy and experiences the world in a good, open, fulfilled way because of school? Well, I, I do encounter, that, that's one of the frequent comments that I get, and, and I think that, they, that school has, uh, I, with all due respect, I think school has, has crushed the imagination of people to such a pr profound degree that they aren't capable of understanding or looking beyond themselves. And yeah, I understand the relativistic nature of happiness, and if you say you're happy, there really isn't any difference between how happy you are. But I, I think the horizons one has are, are stunted, and people on the whole are much more apathetic as a result of, of their school experience. They care less about others. You look at, um, and, and I understand that there are limitations drawbacks to homeschooling and and less so to unschooling um, but what, what is unschooling is that just no school unschooling homeschooling is usually it's usually a community most people have a perverse notion of homeschooling that it's just the kids at home with their parents but usually there's a community of homeschoolers where different parents who are are involved in, in teaching kids who are more expert in different subjects Unschooling allows children complete freedom to pursue the things that interest them. Uh, and, and that's, you think... Without, without uh, an imposed structure. That would lead to a civil productive society, you think? I, I think, you know, community, if, if unschooling can be done in, in a larger 
way. It, it, it pockets of unschooling. There, you know, are, there are great challenges because there's great resistance. There were some unschooled children who I spoke to who were walking around during the daytime, and people were rolling down their cars, screaming at them, "Why aren't they at school?" Which is part of that that hatred of kids that you don't want to see them during school hours. They must be doing something wrong. It's a, like a criminal activity to be to be out in in public spaces. Um, but the, the again, it's it's forcing society's hand through the abolition of school. You're, I, I, I'd say that, uh, yeah, also, so you have, um, you're talking about the consequences. And one of the things is that people, uh, one of the things, I, I guess, with, uh, there are 20 states right now that still permit uh, beating of children in school, corporal punishment. And um, the notion that people say to defend it is, well, I was beaten and I'm okay. And well, you're not okay because you think that beating kids is, is okay. And there are other ways. You know, people like to think that that they're that they're okay, and they don't. Uh, they can overlook uh, the deficiencies of the experience. But I, I don't believe that there is anything constructive uh, in in being placed in an environment where being docile and obedient to, to to authority and power is is the primary rule. One of the paradoxes, I would say, in fact, to this is is the goal of education in theory, from from the point of view that I think schools would say, is is to become citizens in a, dem in a democratic society. And the goal of being a good citizen, or the obligation of being a, a good citizen, is to check tyranny, is is to to be the safeguard against tyrannical power. Well, how is anyone who goes through a tyrannical system and has has is learned it at every moment that if they pursue any sign of individuality, if you if you write in your 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 book and you draw pictures because you're bored in class and most people are bored 60, 70 percent of the time they're in school and you do anything to exert this, you will be punished in some manner, and. There is no recourse against that punishment. Justice is absolute, and justice is, is the teacher's justice, is this one person. And the rules that they may set are completely arbitrary. They, there isn't even rational rules. And that that's, goes beyond the teacher to the administrator, if you object to that. So just multiple layers of, of irrational rules where, where children are just beaten down, beaten down, and trained, that they have to adhere to this. And they're supposed to come out and, and fulfill the, the obligations of, of society and, and what school teaches us. So yeah, you, you might be happy, but are you going to go out and march when, if, uh, in the face of, of some kind of threat to, to power, as, as you know, many have argued took place not too long ago and, the, and perhaps is continuing? Uh, I, I'd say, you know, that uh, it's, it raises a, a good question. I think some good required reading for the unschooled would be Lord of the Flies. Um, Kevin, <laughs> where can people get the, get the movie? Uh, right now they can go to thewaronkids.com. Um, it should be out on Amazon soon, and um, I've been trying to hold back before it goes to Netflix for some uh, additional theatrical engagements, so they can look for that. But if they go to thewaronkids.com, they'll get to updates on where it can be seen and how they can get it. And Kevin, I can guarantee you that everyone listening to this may not agree with you. A lot of people may not agree with you. Uh, what are they supposed to think now? Uh, that if they're teachers, if they're parents, if they're, they have children in school, uh, should they be really mad at you right now? Or should, what, what, what are they supposed to, what are they supposed to do now? Well, again, I, I'm very sympathetic to teachers, administrators, parents, and I do believe that most of them really mean well. 
um, I would like them to really question the environment that their kids are going to and to really think twice about whether their kids should be in this fascist institution and whether there aren't better ways to treat their kids and whether their impulses of, of letting their kids go that they, that they treasure and value to be in the hands and guidance of strangers who really don't have a vested interest in them and yet have uh, great, exert great power over them is, is really a, a warranted and, and the best method and to try to, to imagine and think of other possibilities. Kevin Soling, I interviewed Bill Ayers a few months ago, and this is yet to be the most controversial EdCast of the year. Thank you so much for appearing on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.